afternoon. We'll continue to read from Srila Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. This section of Krishna Sandarbha is representative statements of the Parivas Sutra, other statements in the Srimad Bhagavatam that echo what's being said in the Parivas Sutra. Um, they resonate with the same meaning as the Parivas Sutra. So the 78th Anacheda reads as follows. Jiva says there, As also Sri Sukha said, The full moon shone in the unlimited sky full of stars, just to see Krishna, the master of the Yadus, shone here on earth, surrounded by the Rishnis. The meaning is self-evident. So, the Vrishnis, Krishna is the master of the Yadus, and the Vrishnis is like a sub-clan in the Yadu dynasty. So the Vrishnis, somewhat um, closer family members. So Krishna was surrounded by his close family, and then the whole Yadu associates uh, comprised the population of, of Dwarka. So the similes appropriate that uh, you know Krishna is always surrounded by his associates, and it's also representative of the of the strength of the Parivas Sutra in so much as uh, who besides Krishna could be surrounded with, with such an exalted uh, retinue of, of individuals, both his close associates and uh, all the residents of his uh, uh, kingly domain are, you know, the topmost living entities. So who other than Krishna can do this? Just like the statement regarding uh, where Jiva Goswami brought out the statement from the 14th chapter of the 10th canto wherein Lord Brahma, uh, his vision and what he saw, who other than Krishna could, could, could display such a mystic opulence and show uh, to the creator of the universe uh, his divine position where he can manifest unlimited forms, but he's the source of all those forms. So this next Anucheta will finish off this section of representative statements or statements that echo or, or resonate with the Parivas Sutra. So the 79th Anucheta. And here... Jiva Goswami is going to take us to to seeing how um, that. Well, let's just read the Anucheta. You know, the Bhagavan is Krishna's representative. So, and since this Mahapurusha Purana is she Krishna's representative, Jiva writes, he must be its principal subject. This idea is expressed by Sri Sutta. 
Then he gives us a quote from the very first canto. Sutta Goswami says, Said there, after Sri Krishna's departure for his own abode, accompanied by religion, knowledge, and so on, this Purana has arisen like the sun for those bereft of sight in the age of Kali. Krishna swa dharmopagate dharma jana dibi saha. So this is in response to one of the six questions. Uh, you know, where has dharma, where's dharma now? Krishna's gone. So the sages are questioning uh, Sutta Goswami, where do we find dharma now if we don't have Krishna, who's the embodiment of dharma? Where can we take shelter uh, now that Krishna is no longer uh, here, his Prakat Leela has been wrapped up. So where where is he? And this is in response to that. Krishna Swa Dharma Pagate Dharma Jana Dibi Saha Kalauna Stadri Samesa Puranarko Dunodita. Where is Dharma taking shelter now that Krishna has left his own abode? So Sri Sutta replied that in Krishna's absence, the Bhagavat Purana will provide light to the people of the world. In other words, it will act as his representative or proxy, taking his place when he is absent from the vision of the world, aprakat. Uh, the intended sense is that the Bhagavat Purana is as good as Krishna. Uh, that's a rather profound statement, but if you think about it in, in the proper context, uh, it's it's where the topmost uh, knowledge of spirituality resides, and that's also Krishna. So Krishna sometimes referred to as the embodiment of the Vedas. So we'll go from here into uh, representative statements in other scriptures, but all these statements in other scriptures have to be seen in the light of the statements of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And this evening, this afternoon, we're going to discuss a couple things that, uh, that uh, highlight this understanding So now we're going to push on to Gati Samanya Nyaya. Uh, this is what is the wording here? Uh, a universal concordance that one can find in all scriptures. So there's some universality to all the different scriptures and then there's also some diversion uh, into different subject matters according to uh, the necessity of the audience. Not so much the necessity of the scriptures themselves, but the scriptures themselves are to be seen as resonating with certain um, segments of society who are differently influenced by the modes of material nature and uh, they also uh, have different intents um, in their approach to scripture in general. So, 
now Jeeva is going to show that there is, if we are to find a concordance in all these scriptural presentations, which is called uh, Gati Samanya in Sanskrit, uh, it's going to be the conclusion of Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. All the scriptures are going to take us to the feet of this Parivas Sutra. And it's interesting, especially if we, we see the way Scripture is presented um, in Scripture. <laughs> if we look at that, what's interesting is we find the, uh, the personalization of, of Scripture, that the Scripture is, is represented by a personified form. So we find this, well, actually, uh, Srila Prabhupada uh, titled his last chapter to the uh, uh, Krishna book, you know, Prayers of the Personified Vedas. Uh, he didn't complete the entirety of the 10th Cano uh, in his translation of the Srimad Bhagavatam, but he gave us a preliminary glimpse into the 10th canto in his Krishna book. So he titled the last chapter of his Krishna book, which would be the 90th chapter of the uh, 10th canto, uh, Prayers of the Personified Vedas, that the, the Vedas took a personal form, a personalized form, a body, we could say, and they offered these prayers. Uh, this is also echoed in... Uh, Brihat Bhagavatam Rita. We find that uh, when uh, Gopa Kumar is, is on the uh, Satyaloka planet and he, he's now, he's actually been given the post of Brahma uh, due, to, due to some special circumstance. And from there, um, as has happened throughout the the uh, Brihad Bhagavatam Rita, he's drawn to another another sphere of resonance or level of of spiritual uh, spiritual enlightenment. So, if we remember the story, he starts out, you know, in the earthly sphere, and he. He, he observes the, the worship of uh, the Brahman and then he observes the worship of the king and then he's, he's drawn to uh, the heavenly planet. He becomes an Indra and then he's drawn to the, to the higher planets, Terry systems, all by hearing. He's, he'll be in a certain place and along will come some residents of these higher, higher planes or planets, uh, as we call them, Commonly, they'll come through and he'll say, well, who, who are you? What are you all about? They'll come, you know, like the Kumars came when he was in the heavenly sphere and everybody who was there was bowing down to these young Kumars. He's, he'd never seen them. He'd never heard of them. He didn't know what they were all about. And he was like, why are you bowing, bowing to these, these young men? Uh, if you're bowing down to them, that means that they must have knowledge or a position superior to to your own, 
and you and here we are in Swarga, and we're we're you know where all the demigods reside, and personally worship, uh, uh, you know Yajnaswar, this manifestation of of the supreme lord, and then the Kumars come around and everybody immediately worships them on the same level. And he, he was, what, what are they about? Where do they live? What do they think? What are their associates like? And then, he's, then he has a desire uh, to experience that. And he takes refuge with that intent of the mantra he was provided by a spiritual master. And through the agency of his mantra, he's able to go to, the, to that place. So we find when he's finally gone to the pinnacle of the material uh, manifestation where Brahma, the creator, and all his associates live. So he's there and he's like, well, I've made it. I mean, you know, here, and especially when he was, when he became Brahma and, you know, the Lord, the manifestation of the Lord of that level looked upon Brahma as his son. So he's caressing Brahma. So he's caressing Gopakumar, who's taking the position of Brahma. And he says, you know, Gopakumar is thinking, well, it can't get better than this. I mean, I have my Lord and how, look at how, what an intimate relationship I have with him. And, and then he hears about another realm, a transcendental world. And he becomes inquisitive about that realm. And then there's a discussion, and the discussion is between personified manifestations of the various scriptures. As far as, uh, so they're all giving their opinion as to what's the highest and the and the most uh, profound manifestation of the Supreme Lord. Where do we find that? So there's some argument, this one, that one, and uh, you know what's the what's the what's the easiest path to attain that most uh, exalted uh, form of the Supreme? That's his question. And there's argument. So the Bhakti Shastras are like, they don't, they don't say anything. They just let the other Shastras say something, but they, you know, they're there and it's like, we're the confidential scriptures. So, we're not going to speak out in this assembly of all the scriptures about, you know, about what's the easiest way. It's just, it's too confidential. It's, it's just, you know, here's, you got scriptures talking about Gyan, Sankhya, all these other paths uh, that are required in order to, to attain uh, Vaikuntha or the transcendental realm. But really it's, it's, a, it's the seat. The secret is bhakti. It's so simple. So they're they're quiet, and then there's some some in the discussion. There's some comments that are detrimental to the path of bhakti, and the bhakti shastras get up and walk out. Why well, we don't have to listen to this? <laughs> this is just these people are you know how can you criticize you know the path of bhakti? They just get up and walk. Out. And Gopakumar's like, wait a minute, what's going on? So he he goes to them and he. he Entice it, please come back. We need to hear from you. So this idea of the personified scriptures, it's it's a 
it's something that um, that can seem a little awkward from our perspective at times, but I think it's important to see its significance in that if we're to accept that the scriptures, and specifically the Bhakti Shastras, uh, those that, that give us the highest access to the highest reach of spiritual attainment, that when we have access to that knowledge through those scriptures and what they have to offer, that they themselves are they're shaktis. They're empowered. They're empowered to enlighten us. It's not like just reading a book of knowledge. It's it itself has its own empowerment, um, and to take advantage of that and to to worship the scriptures as, in their personified form and and. Um, you know, beg of the scriptures or pray to the slokas, please reveal the inner meaning of of what's being said here to me. You know, I, I can read the words, but I can't understand it without your blessing. I can't understand it without, you know, without that Swarup Shakti entering, entering, you know, through the words of the scriptures as I read them. I can't, I'm not going to be able to comprehend it without, without, without something from your side because I'm, I'm, I have no qualification to understand the knowledge that you're putting before me. It's beyond my reach. I can't, I can't begin. And the more we hear and study the commentaries of the great Acharyas, we find out that that knowledge is unlimited. There's unlimited ways. The interpretations coming from the various Acharyas are are profound in every way and b- b- varied in every way. That you can read, you know, Sanatans, uh, Vaishnav Tosani, or Jiva Goswami's, Rupa Goswami's, uh, you know, Lagu Vaishnav Tosani, Brihad. Brihad is Sanatans, the big commentary on the 10th canto. And, uh, uh, And uh, Rupa Goswami's is uh, he he takes a lesser possession, so he's entitled his Lagu uh, Toshini, Vaishnav Toshini commentaries on the tenth canto. Uh, there's a lot of, lot of commonality between the two co- commentaries, but we find that uh, I mean just such uh, such depth of knowledge coming uh, all all being revealed to us as those scriptures have revealed themselves through their shakti, their swarup shakti, to these various acharyas. And if there's some difference in an angle of vision, it's certainly acceptable. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't signify a, a, a disharmony with the overall subject matter that's being presented. So we're entering into this uh, Gati Samanya, this universal concordance that all the scriptures have to end here. 
they have to end. And this is where the Sandarbhas of Jiva Goswami began in showing all the scriptures, the, the pinnacle of the understanding of all scriptural presentation is that as given in the Srimad Bhagavatam. It's unique to the Gaudiya, <laughs> you know, tradition, this understanding, but there's certainly ample justification, and here we're going to find some of, some of that justification in this Anucheda. So this is the 80th Anucheda. All Shastras confirm Krishna as Swayam Bhagavan. Jiva writes here, in this way, it has been demonstrated that she Krishna is Swayam Bhagavan. This indeed is also concluded by the principle that the ultimate goal of all scriptures is one and the same, Gati Samanya Nyaya, as expressed in the Mahabharat. Then he quotes from the Mahabharat the following, All the Vedas, all learning along with all scriptures, and all sacrifices are Krishna, who is worthy of everyone's worship. O king, those brahmanas who know Krishna in truth have finished with all ritualistic performances. What's the use of all this ritual? This is, you know, this knowledge of Krishna, it all culminates there. So we can do whatever we want as far as ritualistic, and that's basically the the core presentation of Vedic knowledge is how to perform sacrifices for for attainment of, of the four goals, artha, dhamma, karma, moksha. So this, the Vedas give us knowledge as to how we can attain these things uh, according to our ambition, our desire, the intent of our, uh, what we make the intent of our existence. So Jiva writes, here, because it is established that the culmination of everything is in Krishna, his utter completeness, Purnatvam, is thereby understood. Similarly, in the Bhagavad Gita also, Krishna himself declares, I alone am to be known through all the Vedas. Indeed, I am the author of the Vedanta, and I alone am the knower of the Vedas. Sarasya Chaham Hridi Sani Visto Matashmritir Janamapohanamcha and verily, I am the shelter of Brahman. Brahmano hi pratista hum. So these statements from the Gita are also fortifying. The Krishna is saying, I am the source of all this Vedic knowledge. I'm like the, the supreme person of, of personified scripture. It's all coming from me. Um, by all the Vedas, I'm to be understood. I'm to be known. I'm the culmination. I'm the, not only the source of the Vedas, but I am the objective of the Veda. The same conclusion is shown in the Brahma Samhita verses, beginning with, and then Jiva Goswami quotes uh, from the Brahma Samhita. The famous verse in Chamani Prakarasadbasu, Kaparriksha, Laksavritesu, Surabir, Abhipalayantam, Lakshmi Sahasra Satasam Brahmasevimanam, Govindam Adipurusham, Tamaham Bajami. I meditate on Sri Govinda, the original person, 
I'm sorry, the original Purusha, who is tending the divine Sarabi cows with the utmost care and attention, and who is lovingly served by hundreds of thousands of Lakshmis or gopis in pavilions inlaid with chintamani and surrounded by hundreds of thousands of well-wishing trees. Um, this sequence is continued up to the following verse. And then he quotes another verse from Brahma Samhita. All the masters of the universes, being bored from the pores of the body of Mahavishnu, live for the duration of just one of his breaths. Think about it. The duration of one of the breaths of the Supreme is, that's the duration of the manifestation of all the universes. Krishna breathes out, and here we are. For <laughs> millions and billions and trillions of years, during a day of Brahma, and then a month of Brahma, and then a year of Brahma, and then a lifetime of Brahma, which consists of a hundred such years. So one day is trillions of our earth years. So Krishna's exhaled, and that he inhales, and we all rest. We all get a, a, a respite from, from the unfortunate uh, circumstance of material existence. So, Brahma has this perspective. This is Brahma's perspective. All the masters of the universe live for the duration of just one of his breaths, one of the outpouring of his breaths throughout, from his breath and all of his pores come all these universes. I meditate on Sri Govinda, the original Purusha, whose specific expansion for the cosmic creation is this Mahavishnu. So it's a portion of a portion of one of my manifestations does this Purusha avatar thing. So it's not Krishna, it's, well, it's actually Baladev. But it's not Baladev, it's Baladev as manifested in the Chatur Vyuha. Vasudev, Sankarshan, Pratyumya, and Aniruddha. So this is the uh, uh, Maha Chatur Vyuha. Mula, I believe, is the proper terminology in Sanskrit. So Mula. Uh, so an expansion of Sankarshan, the second expansion of the Chatur Vyuha, from that expansion comes Mahavishnu a portion of a portion of a portion of Krishna. So, uh, and then we have an outpouring of universes from that manifestation of the Supreme Lord. There's a nice uh, footnote, and I, I wanted to share the, the defining of Shintamani as it's given in this footnote because it's nicely presented here. Chintamani refers to a transcendental gem, Mani, that transforms an individual's will, intent, or purpose, pur purposive ideation, Chinta, into reality. 
It's a transcendental jam that takes a person's individual will, intent, or purposive ideation into reality. In other words, Shintamani is endowed with the potency to manifest reality out of mere intent. Though the, through the effective power implicit within Shintamani, the idea becomes identical with its own fulfillment. Hence, Shintamani is a reality-actualizing gem. In addition, these gems are also real in the absolute or ontological sense. Paramartha Satya, being direct manifestation of Krishna's own intrinsic potency, Swarup Shakti. That Krishna's abode is made of Chintamani indicates its transcendental nature. Since the term Chintamani is in wide usage in India philosophical and poetic works, Indian, um, and is also without an equivalent English adequate English equivalent, we have left it untranslated throughout the text. There's nothing, we can't give you a word that, in English, that conveys what Shintamani is. So we have to use the word Shintamani, and here's an explanation of what it is. And imagine that this is the, the substance. It's full. The whole, the, the basis of the manifestation of Krishna's transcendental realm is this chintamani. So as soon as there is a desire on the part of his devotee to serve him in a particular way, it manifests by the potency of the Swarup Shakti or this, this concept of chintamani, that it's Whatever our willfulness is in relationship to, to serving Krishna, that's immediately fulfilled there without any effort on our part except for that willing. I'd like to fan Krishna. There's a fan. I'd like to give him flowers. There's flower. I mean, imagine whatever you want, you, it's there. It's immediate, it's your beck and call. It's manifesting because it also is that is a conscious serving entity in that realm, the Surup Shakti. Uh, so it's quite extraordinary just the conception of, of what is Shintamani. And then we have Shintamani, Prakasadmasu, Kalpavriksha. Here, where let's go into a land. This is where Govinda lives. Govinda lives where everything is Shintamani and every tree is a Kalpavriksha tree. There's nothing that you could even think that you wanted that is not immediately available to you there. If you want it, it's there and it's a, a, it comes without any effort on your part except the desire to attain it course everybody there only wants to attain things that they can can be used in the service of Krishna. Imagine if we could develop such intent in relationship to Krishna's representative, the guru, that 
whatever he wants, we're, we, we, that is the intent of our existence. And whatever our intent is in relationship to the guru will manifest, at least on the transcendental plane. But we, on this plane, we may have to work for it. We may have to make some endeavor to, to, to serve him in a particular way because you've got to deal with what you're dealt with. But you need to you need to understand that such intent on the part of the disciple to to render service utilizing everything at our disposal because that's really what Shintamani's represents everything at our disposal Shintamani in the realm of Krishna Shintamani Prakasamas everything is at our disposal and the only thing in this plane that's that needs adjusted is our consciousness towards using everything for the pleasure of the guru who's there only to give pleasure to Krishna and on and on and up the line. That's what parampara is. So if we can begin to mold our consciousness, to adjust our consciousness and, and, and rearrange our lives in, in, pursuit of that goal of whatever the guru wants let me somehow or other try to fulfill his desire then that's a great step in our spiritual advancement so two verses from the Brahma Samhita and then as Jiva Goswami likes to do well let's, let's look at some other verses and see how they fit in because they don't seem to reconcile with this Krishna's to Bhagavad Swayam. So Jiva says next, he says, in this regards, the following doubt might be, may be raised. According to the Atarakanda of the Padma Purana, the source of all avatars is Narayan alone. The master of the spiritual sky, Paravyom. Whereas in the Pancharatra, Vasudev is said to be the source. Then he goes on to say, it cannot be argued that these two are in fact none other than Sri Krishna because their abodes, associates, names, and forms are all different from his. So you can't say Narayan's Krishna. You can't say Vasudev's Krishna. These are different manifestations of the Supreme. They live different places. They have different followers. They have different leelas. So... Scriptures are saying these are the topmost manifestations. How do we reconcile this? This is an objection. You're saying that Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, but other scriptures are saying Narayan Bhagavan Swayam or Vasudev Bhagavan Swayam. So, what do we do? Well, which one do we accept? Do we accept the Uttarakhanda of the Padma Purana? Do we accept the, the Pancharatra? How do we reconcile this? How then can it be claimed that Sri Krishna alone is the source of all the avatars or Swayam Bhagavan? Okay, Jiva, thanks. Now, now you got me confused. What do I do? <laughs> so, of course, he's going to resolve this apparent conflict in our consciousness that he's created by quoting these other scriptures. 
So he goes on to say, in reply to this, it is said, the sovereignty of Srimad Bhagavatam over all other scriptures has been systematically shown in the very beginning of the first Sandarbha. Tattva Sandarbha Anuchedith 19-23. Moreover, it is well known from the Bhagavad itself that this revealed text was brought to light by Sri Vyasadeva only after the awakening of complete knowledge and realization in him. Its power to override other scriptures is clearly evident in the statements such as the following. Jiva continues, this time quoting from the Bhagavad Purana itself. My dear king, some individuals instruct in this way, forgetting what has been demonstrated earlier. How is it possible that any inauspicious event could ever take place in the home of Sri Krishna, who is the abode of sages? The key point being here, some individuals say there was inauspiciousness in the, in the, the abode of Krishna. What, what, how can they say that? Because they've already said Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. They've already put that forth. So now they're making a statement that there was this inauspiciousness created by the fact that the Shimataka jewel was removed. So we know the Leela of the Shimataka jewel. So when it was taken out away from Dwarka, was it Dwarka or Mathura? I don't know if they moved to Mathura yet. I mean to Dwarka. Anyway, whatever the whichever. They're both Krishna's abode, so wherever the Leela transpired. I think Dwarka. So Akurora took the gem, ran away after this whole thing with uh, you know the whole you know krishna's uh, was insulted his his he was called into question his character was questioned by the residents of dwarka as to uh you know maybe he stole this shamantaka jewel and then the whole fight with uh john bavon we'll go over the leela a little bit here before we end up it's in the commentary um so how can you say that Krishna's abode became inauspicious when you've already just demonstrated earlier that that can't happen because he's Swayam Bhagavan? And as in the state, and as in this statement as well, such is the account of some account some sages put forth, a wise king. But those who speak in this illogical manner contradict themselves having forgotten their own prior statements. So these are two, two statements from the Srimad Bhagavatam, that there may be contradictions, especially, you know, in certain circumstances of the Leela, but let's not forget the uh, Siddhanta. These, these Leelas, these circumstances don't override the Siddhanta of what is Krishna, who Krishna is. Therefore, it is also said in the ninth canto, disregarding his own disciples, such as Pila, 
The powerful Bandunarayan taught this supremely esoteric text to me, his son, who am established, who am established in the state of unwavering mental fixity. Who are established? Who is? Singular? I am. I am. Who am? Who am established? It is right. Am is correct because he's saying I am. Established in the state of mental fixity. So that's why. Okay. You don't agree. I don't know. I agree. In this way, the Bhagavad's supremacy over all other scriptures has been established. Therein, Sri Krishna alone has been described as Swayam Bhagavan. Jiva goes on, In this regard, it's to be recognized that the degree of excellence of the object of glorification is in direct proportion to the degree of excellence of the agent that extends such praise. Okay. The degree of excellence of the object of glorification is in direct proportion to the degree of excellence of the agent that extends such praise. So the, in other words, the speaker, and then it, and then it goes on to explain the, the nature of the speaker, but the speaker, Sukadeva Goswami, there's no higher agent. So certainly what he's presenting has to be the highest conception of spiritual reality, of the supreme. It has to be. Why? Well, because when you look to the author- look at who was in the audience listening to him explain the Srimad Bhagavatam. I mean, what 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 when you have the author himself listening to the student, Narda and other great sages listening to Sukadev, whose position one would consider far exceeding that of the young boy Sukadev Goswami, then you have to see the exalted nature of the speaker of the Bhagavat Purana. So if he's so exalted that these personalities are listening to him, then what to speak of the subject he's talking about? For instance... A gradation certainly exists between a particular item that is praised as the best in the assembly of a village chief and one that is esteemed as such in the king's court. So in the village, you know, the, you know, something very, what would be very meager in the king's court could be praised as very excellent. Oh, look, we have such a great abundance of goat's milk today in our village. You're going to take a bucket of goat's milk, you know, <laughs> from the village and take it into the king's court and it's it's going to be just complete. No one's going to praise it. No one's going to... So it's a whole... You have to see what's what's the nature. Everything has to be put in proper context. That's what Jeeva's saying here. In this way, although the other avatars have been venerated in other works... The supremacy of Sri Krishna alone has been established due to his being the object of glorification in the Srimad Bhagavatam. 
So, yeah, these other scriptures, they may sing the praises of, of Vasudev. They may sing the praises of Narayan. That's okay. But who's singing the praises of Krishna? The Srimad Bhagavatam. What's the position of the Bhagavatam? Well, it's the king of all scriptures. It doesn't get better than the Bhagavatam. For a few reasons. And then Jiva Goswami proceeds to give us those reasons. He goes on to say, Therefore, it is correctly explained earlier that the definitive statement, <coughs> Krishna, however, is Swayam Bhagavan, overrides all other shrutis, all other evidences. Shruti in this context being an evidence. Praman. Praman. Therefore, these lords of the spiritual sky, such as Narayan, according to Padma Purana Uttarakhanda, and Vasudev, according to the Pancharatra, should be understood as particular forms of Sri Krishna alone, whereas Krishna himself is Mahanarayan, as stated directly in the Srimad Bhagavatam, and Mahavasudev, as he was known in Dwarka. Consequently, this indeed has been clearly stated in the Narayana and Vasudeva Upanishads, respectively. And then he quotes directly from other scriptures where the statements are in concordance with the conclusion of the Srimad Bhagavatam. May the son of Devaki award bliss to all. Uh, the son of Devaki, who is devoted to the Brahmanas, is the infallible Bhagavan Vishnu. Such being the case, Sri Krishna very clearly counted even Vasudeva as his unrestricted vibhuti. And he concludes his anacheta by saying the meeting is self-evident. So even other Shastras except Krishna is Swayam Bhagavan. This is called Gati Samanya Nyaya, with the principle that all scriptures share a common purpose. Because all the scriptures, such as the Vedas, Puranas, Upanishads, and Mahabharata, the Gita, and the Vedanta Sutra, have a common author whose sole aim is to benefit humanity in the ultimate sense, they must have one prime subject. Also brought out in the commentary here is the fact that what follows, what is the last presentation of someone like Srila Vyasudev is the conclusive presentation. It carries more evidentiary weight than prior presentations. So whatever, the, whatever a guru writes what his last presentation of spiritual knowledge is, is the topmost. It doesn't get better than that. He's uh, everything. It's the culmination of his life works, you could say. Now you look at an author like Vyasadeva, who wrote down all the Vedas, the Mahabharata, Vedanta Sutra. You know, he gave so much knowledge to humanity. But then what happened? He finished up with a representation of the Srimad Bhagavatam, of the Bhagavat Purana, after mature meditation. After not feeling completed, he realized he had to write more. He had to give more. 
and he entered in samadhi, as we know the story, and from the samadhi we have a representation of the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the culmination of all his works and is the topmost pinnacle of what he has to say for the benefit of human society. Stuna Nikanana Nyaya. We're familiar with this terminology. Pounding the post. So that's what Jiva's doing here. He's pounding the post. So this is an extremely large commentary. And I think we'll I think we've covered most of it. Something, one nice thing here. Sukadev, who is the original speaker of the Bhagavat Purana, does not accept the versions of events that might be found in other Puranas when they are seen to contradict the import of the Bhagavat's teachings. His reasoning is that the sages who condone such statements forget their own words in which they describe Krishna as the Supreme Person. In other words, that those are those two statements that Jiva Goswami used in the Anacheda as evidence uh, that you're forgetting what you said earlier, that Krishna is Swayam Bhagavan, when you say that you know, there can be some misfortune uh, uh, in his abode. So... Any questions? So statements um, presenting Krishna as Fayam Bhagavan override statements um, presenting other avatars as Fayam Bhagavan, but are those statements still bona fide from a certain perspective, even though they're overridden? Yeah, they're bona fide. For a certain audience, certain circumstance, Guru Maharaj talks about. I mean, there are different. You know, Vedanti tat tatva vidas tatva myas jnanam advayam, brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabjate. So different people have different spiritual perspectives. Different people have different ideals, different intents of their worship. They've been schooled from different sampradayas and they they hold different conclusions and different scriptures support those conclusions. People approach scriptures uh, according to their conditioning. So there's scriptures for people that are still in the conditioning of the modes of material nature. There's scriptures in the mode of ignorance, there's scriptures in the mode of passion, and there are scriptures in the mode of goodness, all tailor-made to help those individuals advance spiritually in the overall course of things. And then s- similarly, when we come to uh, attainments, uh, like Guru Maharaj, some, some spiritual aspirants are seeking uh, life in Vaikuntha, which is like spirituality with perks. I want to have the same form as the Lord. I want to be have the same opulence as the Lord. I want to you know, have his, uh, live on his planet in his association there's a little bit of from our perspective such personal desires are are 
falls short of the highest ideal according to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. There are certainly great ideals to live with God, to be on his planet, to have his form, to associate with him. I mean, these are, these are great spiritual aspirations, but they, we don't want anything to do with them. The gopis are willing to go to he- hell if they can relieve Krishna's headache. Now that's the level of devotion that uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavas seek to attain. It's it's a whole it's a, it's in a world of its own. So Guru Maharaj, he was talking about he was in South India. He went to to a, a you know a, a Sri Vaishnav's home, and they were discussing Krishna Leela, and the host was very you know just very much appreciating the Krishna Leela that uh, you know uh, they were presenting. But then you know. And then what about what about Lakshmi Narayan? And then immediately his whole mood changed. Oh, Lakshmi Narayan! No, he bowed his head. So, yeah, you know, Krishna can be there, and Krishna can be seen as a manifestation of the some leela of Lakshmi Narayan. But the topmost god is Lakshmi Narayan, and you're not going to convince that personality of, to change to something else generally speaking, depending on where they are. So we see even in, in the uh, in Shaitanya Leela that's, that once somebody was, you know, certain uh, individuals in his association were so much already uh, uh, enthralled by the, uh, the, the manifestation of the Lord as uh, Ramachandra that they couldn't be swayed they tried. Yes, I want this. Look, Krishna, this is this is great. And then they came back crying. But I can't give up my God. I can't give up Rama. You know, mm-hmm. even Lakshmi. You know, uh, I want to enter into that highest uh, appreciation for the supreme. I want to. I want to. I want to know what these gopis are tasting in their in their love for Krishna. Let me perform austerities for millions or trillions of years and at the end it's like I can't do it I can't give up the feet of of Narayan in Vaikuntha this is my lord Uh, yes they're right the scriptures are right for their audience what Jeeva is showing us that well really though (laughs) for us let me prove to you scripturally that we have the best conception our understanding is the best. Our presentation is the best. No one, you can't, you can't arrive at a higher conclusion, especially when Krishna himself comes as one aspiring, as a devotee, to taste the highest relationship with Krishna. And we're in that sampradaya, and we're presenting what he taught. So, no, not everyone's going to agree with us. That's for sure. All right. Thank you so much for your association.